right, hello church. It is uh, good to be here with you today. Um, at this time, we will uh, confess our faith according to the Apostles' Creed as a reminder of God's love given to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, once again, even if you're alone at home, uh, if we believe this, let's recite it together with conviction. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. Well, uh, what week is this? How many weeks have we been doing this? Like four weeks? Um, we're, 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 we're getting the hang of it a little bit. We're, we're trying to figure it out. Um, thank you guys for, for being with us. Thank you guys for tuning in with us. Um, you know, week by week, we're getting a little bit better. We're working around kind of some of the issues that we have. And, um, you know, it's good to kind of be here with you guys. Uh, just, uh, I have actually several announcements today. Uh, first off, uh, read the word. You know, uh, for those of you who are kind of regular members of our church, you know we've been doing this kind of campaign throughout this year to read the word. We've been on this five-day reading plan. Uh, it kind of syncs well with the Dwell app. If you guys, for those of you who are using that, I know a lot of you guys have been using that, um, the Dwell audio Bible. And so uh, the April plan is available. I'm sorry we sent it out a day late, April 2nd. Uh, April Fool's, April 1st, we got you guys, we didn't send it out that day. It was not an April Fool's, we just forgot to send it out. But um, uh, hopefully you guys have, have gotten the schedule, uh, the, the reading plan. If you're on the reading plan, just want to remind you, you know, how important it is to be in the Word every day. And so we have links for that available. Please uh, pick that up if you need it. Uh, secondly, Helping Hands is something we just kind of started last week. Uh, if you need help with anything, uh, particularly like grocery shopping, if there's something that's tough for you to get or, uh, you know, you've had a hard time kind of getting it or maybe you can't get out of the house, you know, you're busy with the kids, like this kind of thing, uh, please, please, uh, you can contact us at uh, info at theexchangechurch.com, the-exchange-church.com. Um, or, we, you know, we have a Google, we have a Google form uh, we'll put a link for that up as well uh, later on today, and you can just click that, and you can sign up there. And so this is for either if you would like to volunteer, and we, we have, you know, a few people signed up this week to volunteer, a few more people, I should say. And so if you're interested in volunteering to help out with that, or if you just need help, you know, and a lot of us need help right now, and so... If you need help with that, you know, there's a form you can click, you need help, and then you can say kind of what you need to get, and we will get that out to you. And so please uh, take advantage of this. We really, you know, community is important. We need to help each other out in the ways that we can. And so that's available for you. Uh, thirdly, VOR. Uh, this is voice, the voice of refugees for those of you uh, who are unfamiliar. You know, it's been a little bit since we've been involved with VOR, I think, um, they were doing some restructuring, and then obviously the coronavirus happened, 
And so it's been tough for us to do food distribution with them. Actually, uh, I was just in contact with the volunteer coordinator there um, the other day, and they're going through a pretty tough time right now. I think they've essentially laid off all their staff, and they are working just on a volunteer basis. And so, um, you know, uh, because of kind of new protocols and things like that, we're not participating in food distribution. But uh, they do have, we will put up a donation link later today. And if you, if you can donate, and I know a lot of us are struggling financially, and if that's the case, you know, maybe it might be difficult for you. But for those of us maybe who, who aren't or if we're feeling generous um, or the spirit is moving us, I really encourage you to uh, maybe donate to them. A lot of the refugees, the refugee families, they don't have VOR anymore to kind of go to every day. And so this is for them. Uh, you know, it's helping them get jobs. It's helping them kind of get the things that they need, like procure citizenship, get a driver's license, like these kind of things. And without that, it's really tough for them. And so, you know, I encourage you, uh, first of all, if you can, just pray for them, pray for the staff and pray for the families there. For those of you who've been, you kind of know some of the people, please pray for them. Uh, but also, if you feel moved to give, uh, we'll put a donation link up and you know, I encourage you to, to do that as well. A couple other things, a lot of announcements today, but this is Passion Week. I don't know if you guys realized it kind of snuck up on us too. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, this Friday, we will be having a Good Friday service. Obviously, we can't meet together at church, but we will be having, um, you know, we will be live streaming a service Friday night, uh, 8 p.m., uh, you know, April 10th. And so please join us on Facebook Live um, you know, we will we will be together and, and kind of uh, remember and uh, celebrate, you know, the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, and then next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And so uh, I will say we were doing kind of this, um, you know, this give, pray, love campaign. Well, that's what we were doing before all the craziness happened. Um, but I will say, even for, you know, for members of our church, for those of you guys, uh, you know, one of the things that we had been praying for was kind of to love a family or a person and maybe invite them to our service on Sunday. Um, but I will say right now, I know it's a strange time, but weirdly, it might be more, even more, uh, or people might be more open and receptive to the gospel right now. You know, and I, this is something I've been praying and thinking about, but I feel like it's something God may be doing. And so, Hey, invite them to our live stream. <laughs> I know it seems weird, but um, I mean, really, this is this is a time to to you know probably more than ever in my lifetime um, to get to to sense the urgency to really preach the gospel. And so, I would encourage you to do that um, for all you guys, you know, regular members and people who are part of our church. Please come Easter. Sorry, we can't do uh, you know. We're not doing like a, a taco guy or anything. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do the normal things, but we can be together. We can worship Christ together. We can hear the word together. And that's what we're going to do. Um, and actually, finally, we don't have a slide for this, but this week we will be, you know, normally something we do, we've done every year at our church is Passion Week prayer where we'll gather at church every night. Now, we're, we're not going to do that, and we can't kind of live stream that every night. But what we will be doing is we'll just be sending out kind of prayer topics and passages it will be in accordance with uh, our normal reading schedule from Read the Word. And, you know, we'll send out little devotions and prayer topics for you. And so every morning this week. And so please uh, follow us on social media. Check out the Facebook. Check out the Instagram. We'll send those things out to you. 
and just to just to be engaged with Christ, you know, this week. And so that was a lot, but I think that's it for announcements. Uh, once again, if you're just kind of visiting, you're joining us, you know, welcome. Um, it's good to have you here with us. Let me pray for us, and then we will get into God's Word together. So let us, let us pray together. God, we thank you so much for this day, uh, which you have made. God, we want to rejoice. We want to be glad in you. Uh, we pray that at this time you would remind us of who you are. Jesus, would you remind us that you are the king? Would our hearts, as we enter into this Passion Week, um, as we remember the, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would you awaken our hearts, God, to faith and to hope and to peace uh, in you. God, so be with us today. Be with the preaching of your word. I know we're still getting used to being a part. I don't, I don't really want to get used to this, God, but um, we do want to have faith that, that you are greater than these challenges, God, than the challenges of, of not being physically present, God. And your presence is, you know, you're everywhere, God. And so we thank you that you are with us. We pray that you would speak to us wherever we are through your word right now, God. So we entrust it to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, we are not used to waiting, and we don't like waiting. You know, uh, according to uh, a story in uh, The Guardian, studies have shown that 32% of consumers will start abandoning slow sites, slow websites, if it takes between one and five seconds to load. One and five seconds. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like, do you remember how slow the internet used to be? Remember when you first got internet? And it was that whole dial-up, pro like you had to, your, your computer, you know, it's a dial-up modem, had to dial a number. It dials that number. It does these weird, you know, it's like, nah, 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 nah. you know, it does that whole thing, right? It goes through that entire process. And yet it's true right now, like that would be a minute-long process just to connect to the internet, let alone load up a web page. But it's true now if it takes five seconds, if it takes five seconds for a page to load, that feels like an eternity. Like if you go on your phone and it takes five seconds, for like try it, like load a page and count five seconds. If it took that long for a page to load, you would think that that is super long. In fact, uh, the same study found that a one-second delay in page load time can result in 11% fewer page views and 16% decreased customer satisfaction. So if it takes more than a second, like people are just like, forget this. Have you ever done that? Did you try to load a page? You know, you go, whatever. You go to Amazon, you go to ESPN, you know, you go whatever, Facebook. It takes longer than a second, and you're like, forget it. Like, it's not even, it's not even worth it. That's crazy. And it's incredibly relevant right now because we are all in a season of waiting. You know, we're all just kind of waiting. The world is on pause indefinitely. When are we going to get back to 
the way things used to be. Like we are waiting for the virus to subside. We're waiting for a vaccine to be created. We're waiting to get back to work. We're waiting to get back outside, to be able to watch a movie, to be able to go to the park, to be able to go on vacation, like to be able to do this, to be able to do that. I mean, personally, I just really want to see you guys. <laughs> like, I wish we could. And, I, you know, I, I think for us, the, the quarantine here, that's what I've, I've dubbed us. Um, you know, we at least kind of have this, we can see each other. We are trying to practice social distancing. We're trying to, you know, not, we're not touching each other, but we can at least see each other in person. And it's really, I mean, you know, we all want to get back to that. So we're all very aware of the waiting that we are engaged in right now. And look, it can be frustrating. It can be difficult. Honestly, this is a strange, this is an unprecedented time. And it is very psychologically distressing, even for those of us. Now, of course, for some of us, and people are sick. Some people have lost loved ones. That's incredibly difficult. That's incredibly painful. Um, and I think for some of us, if, we, if that's not the case, if we, haven't, if we still have our job and you know, everyone's still healthy, I think we kind of feel like, well, you know, it's not that bad for me. I shouldn't really, you know, I, I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't complain or I shouldn't think anything um, that this is difficult. But, you know, to be honest, it's, it's difficult for everybody. Uh, those of us who still have our jobs and our health, um, and we should be thankful for such graces but life is still difficult. It's difficult for everyone right now to be in this state of limbo. And the question that we're going to be looking at today is, how can we wait in such a way that we feel like it's worth it? You know, in this season of forced waiting, how can we understand waiting such that we feel empowered to do so? That this isn't just life on pause, but that life still has meaning and purpose even as we're in this season of waiting. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to look at that question. We're going to try to step into these three, uh, well, into three truths about Jesus. And we'll kind of see it as we look at the text. And so if you guys have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of John. John chapter 12, verses 12 to 18. This is the triumphal entry um, this is Palm Sunday <laughs> today, and we're going to look at a kind of a classic Palm Sunday passage, uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. So this is John 12, 12 through 18. We'll read it together. This is God's word. And it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a, a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let's read on, verse 16. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. Okay, so we'll stop right there. Now, 
what are the three truths that we need to step into regarding Jesus? Okay, first truth. Jesus is the one we have been waiting for. Jesus is the one we have been waiting for. Now, if we look at the text, if we look at the passage, if you're unfamiliar, there is a great deal of significance surrounding the palm branches, right? So Jesus is coming in. He's making his entry. He's, he's riding a donkey, and then they start laying down these palm branches. Now, date palms were plentiful around Jerusalem, and they still grow there. Um, now, there's nothing in the, in the Old Testament that prescribes the use of palm branches during Passover. Uh, the, the people were commanded to, to um, well, they did do palm fronds and rejoice before the Lord your God at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a different feast, which is referenced in John 7 and 8. Uh, there was nothing in particular about Passover, which is the time where Jesus is entering Jerusalem. But palm branches had become, so more than that kind of commanded nature of what they're doing, uh, palm branches had become a national symbol about two centuries earlier. So there was this guy named Simon the Maccabee, and he drove out the Syrian forces from uh, the Jerusalem citadel. So there was this revolt, essentially, by Simon the Maccabee. He drove out the, the uh, Syrian forces. And this is where, actually, the celebration, the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah comes from. And they celebrated with music and the waving of palm branches. So palm branches became, at that time, a couple, this is a couple centuries before Jesus' time, became this national symbol of, of kind of, or became a symbol of national pride. Right? So much so that when the Romans minted the coins for Judea, they used palm branches on it. So it was this, it's almost like, it's, it's, a, it's waving a symbol of nationalistic hope. It's almost like if somebody came and you, I don't know, put down the American flag. Right? You know on 4th of July, everyone's got those little, little American flags like on their lawn. It's almost like that if there's a parade for America, right, and you're waving the American flag. It, it's this nationalistic symbol. Now, this is significant for Israel because if you look at Israel's history, remember, Israel hasn't been an independent nation for like, like 700 years, for like six, seven, eight hundred years, depending on how you look at it. And they've been conquered time and like they were a united kingdom, you know, under King David and Solomon, and then they became a divided kingdom, and then they just got conquered over and over by different countries, Assyrians, Babylonians, you know, Greeks, Persians, Romans, like they're just all coming in. Those great empires that you know about from history, they all came in, they conquered Israel. And right now, you know, at the time of Jesus, not right now, but at the time of Jesus in this passage, they're under Roman occupation. So they're waving this kind of nationalistic symbol, right? Like this is the one, this is the guy, this is the king that's come that's been prophesied, that's going to save our people. In fact, Hosanna, they say Hosanna, right? Hosanna literally means save, please. Or I beg you to save. And this Hosanna was part of what's called the Hallel, which comes from Psalm 113 to 118. It's what the Jews recited. It started with when they came out of Egypt. And they, they recited this. Uh, you know, they, they kind of gave this celebratory praise. It later became, the, this Hallel became this Jewish prayer that from Psalm 113 to 118, specifically that um, 
you know, the Jews recite on holy days an act of praise and thanksgiving. And this is actually from Psalm 118. This is part of it. This is the end of the Hallel. It says, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray and give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's like part of the last section of the Hallel. This was recited each morning during the Feast of Tabernacles, also associated during the Feast of Dedication, also associated with the Passover. So there's, a, there's this, the picture is painted. Right? If you look at it in context, this is a people, a nation that has been oppressed for six, seven, eight centuries that's celebrating the arrival of a prophesied king bubbling with national pride, desperate for deliverance. It's one of those scenes, it's supposed to be one of those scenes where people recognize the arrival of an epic hero. You know, like in a superhero movie, or even in like a war movie. Like I was thinking of like, I don't know if you guys remember, but like Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Remember they're having this battle at Helm's Deep. If you know Helm's Deep, that term, then you're kind of nerdy like me. And so they're coming, like they're battling there, right? Remember? And all the orcs and the, you know, the bad creatures, whatever, they're coming. They're the, the evil forces. They're like going to overtake them. And at the end, like Gandalf arrives. You know, he's like, he, shoots, he shines his little staff. He shoots light. That's, he's, he doesn't do that much powerful stuff, actually. He just kind of shoots light. He blinds everybody, you know, and then they go in and they, they have this epic battle, right? Or the other thing I was thinking of, like, when, you guys remember uh, Avengers Infinity War? When, when uh, Thor arrives, you know, they're all battling in Wakanda and, like, Thor arrives, you know, and he comes with his new, with Stormbreaker, right, his axe. He's like, give me Thanos! You know, he, like, comes in and he's, he, like, shouts the... And it's like this epic moment. It's an awesome moment. It's the arrival of the hero. Now imagine for a moment you witness that in real life. You know, you're with a friend. And somebody's like falling out of a building. A skyscraper. And Iron Man, you know, like in real life. Like Iron Man flies and he saves the person. And then delivers them to the ground. And, and, and Iron Man, real life Iron Man like a dude who actually created this suit. He's standing before you, and you're like in awe. You're like, wow, this is amazing. This is something that you only see in movies. It's happening in real life. And then you have a friend with you, and the friend is kind of the guy who's like never impressed by anything, right? And they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. Like, I guess, I guess that's, yeah, it's, it's no big deal. And what did you think, like, do you not see what's amazing about this, that we saw something that you only see in movies, but we saw it in real life? Like, this, in the, this is the, the arrival of the Son of God on the scene. It's a huge deal. And yet, not one week later, not one week later, many of these same people will chant, crucify him. What happened? Jesus was the king they had been waiting for. But they didn't recognize him because he wasn't the king that they wanted. See, Jesus' mission is clear. He, it's clear to him. 
And independence for Israel isn't it. His mission is not to deliver the people from the Roman Empire. It's not to help Israel secure its place in the geopolitical landscape. That's not Jesus' mission. We know what Jesus' mission was. In fact, the, the text itself has clues as to what Jesus' mission was. One is that this, his arrival on a donkey is the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. This is Zechariah 9. 9 through 12, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Now three hints from this passage as to what Jesus' mission is. One, the coming of this humble king is associated with the end of war. Right? He is coming victorious after war, not to declare war. Two, the coming of the humble king is associated with the proclamation of peace to the nations. Right? So again, he arrives on a donkey rather than a war horse. A donkey was still used in, in ro- by royalty, but it was a peacetime animal. So after, and oftentimes when generals would, for the Romans at least, when generals would come home from battle... Uh, After having won the battle, they would ride a donkey. Now, the question is, who did Jesus come that we might have peace with? So there's these crowds following him, right? Some crowds came from he healed Lazarus, he rose him from the dead. And some some crowds came for that reason. They wanted to see power. Others came from Jerusalem looking for maybe financial or political, for financial or political reasons. Some came to stop him, like the Jewish rulers. But all these people missed the mission of Jesus. They witnessed his arrival, but they missed the purpose of it. It wasn't to grasp political power or wealth or social equality. It wasn't to end the tension between the Jews and the Romans. It was to end the war between God and man. And Jesus' way of ending the war is not to send people into battle to kill his enemies. It was for himself to be sent to die for his enemies. That was Jesus' mission. Our greatest problem is sin. Our only solution is Christ. Jesus is the king you have always been waiting for, even if he's not the king that you've always been looking for. And so it's good for us to remember who Jesus is and why he came, that we don't miss the weight of his arrival because we're looking past him to something else. Jesus is the king that we need. That's the first truth. Here's the second one. Jesus has come to free us from the oppression of lesser kings. 
Jesus has come to free us from the oppression of lesser kings. Now, not only did he come to save us from the consequences of sin, he came to free us from the oppression we're living under. Now, if you look back at the Zechariah 9.9 passage, if you look at, again at verse 11, it says, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Right? It says, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free. Now, that's not referring to kind of this literal uh, physical oppression, although, you know, that can be a part of it. But the idea is that there is this, what Jesus came to do was to free us from the spiritual oppression the spiritual oppression of those things to which or to whom we give our allegiance. We say, oh, you are, you're my savior. You're my king. You're the thing that's going to save me, that's going to fix me, that's going to make my life good, that's going to make my life okay, that's going to make it enjoyable, that's going to give me peace, that's going to give me security, that's finally going to make me feel like somebody. Those are the lesser kings. That's, that's to whom we give our allegiance. In fact, there's an there's a illustration of this in the, in the Bible. It's when the people of Israel, because this is what our hearts are prone to, to desire those kinds of earthly kings, right? And there's a passage in Scripture, comes from 1 Samuel, where the people of Israel were like, you know, because Samuel was the prophet representing God, and that's how it used to work. There was a prophet who would deliver the word of God because the king of the people was God himself, Right? He was the one actually guiding and directing the people, and he would use the prophet to speak his word. But the people were like, that's not what we want. And in fact, if you look, this is 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations." But, this thing, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Isn't that a tragic passage where God was literally the king of Israel? And then they said, God, we don't want you. We want a human king just like all the other nations. Like, we just want to be like everybody else. Like, we don't want to be different. We don't want to follow you. We don't want you to tell us kind of what to do or what is right. We want to be like everybody else. In fact, God, you know, he goes on. We won't read it, but he explains what a terrible idea this is. If you look in, verse, in 1 Samuel 8, 11 through 20, and I'll just kind of summarize it. But he says, basically, if you get this human king and you set him up, he is going to own you. He's going to take your family. He's going to take your sons and send them off to war. He's going to take your daughters. They're going to be servants in, in his household. He's going to steal the fruits of your labor. Like you're going to have to give him a tenth of this and a tenth of that. He's talking about taxes, essentially. He's say, ultimately, you'll become the slave of this king. When you set up any other king, any other savior, whether it's a person or a thing or some goal or some view of success that you have, and you say, to this I give allegiance. This is going to be my king. This is going to be my Lord. This is going to be my Savior. This is what I'm living for. This is my purpose. 
And every king you have ever done that for that was not Jesus has oppressed you, has owned you. Now, it's incredible how convenient our world has become. Like, to the point where this, you know, I mean, we're all in lockdown, right? I mean, a soft lockdown. But it's not nearly as restrictive as you thought it would be, right? Like, you know, our phones are smarter than we are. Our cars drive themselves, right? You can get anything delivered to your house. You can get food delivered. You know, Amazon delivers pretty much anything you want within two days. You know, all the stores, you know, Uber Eats, whatever. Like, there's Postmates. Like, you can get a bunch of stuff, and there's streaming, there's Netflix, there's, you know, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, whatever. There's all kinds of stuff. We all have laptops. We have game consoles. We have Kindles. There are things to, to keep us busy. And I was thinking, actually, like, imagine this lockdown happened in, like, 1999, you know, like, when Y2K happened. Like, imagine no smartphones, no video chat, no live streaming, no streaming of any kind, right? Like, you'd be, you'd be like, no grocery store delivery. Like, the only thing back then you could get delivered is pretty much pizza. That's about it. Like, we'd all be stuck at home playing N64, like, watching DVDs, chatting on AIM. Like, that's, that would be our life right now. Now, the fact that our lives have become convenient, I mean, it's good. It's a grace from God, but there's also this tendency of our hearts. It's no wonder that we walk into Christianity assuming that Jesus is a servant who should do what we want rather than a king whom we are meant to obey. We're used to having things our way. But make no mistake, Jesus is not meant to obey us, to do what we want. That's what all the other kings, right? The, the kings, the false kings of our lives, that's what they promise us. But it, it never turns out right, does it? Like we do the we do the Lord's Prayer, you know, every night with our, you know, with the with the boys, right? And weirdly, something Micah says every day, I don't know why he says this, because we taught him the right way, obviously. But you know, in the Lord's Prayer, when it's like, um, your kingdom come, your will be done. For some reason, he says, Our kingdom come, <laughs> your will be done. And I don't know like why he says that. But it's weird. It's almost like it's instinctive, you know? It's almost like it's built into the human heart to want to say, my kingdom come. You know, not your kingdom come. Like, how did he start saying that? We never said that. But he just started saying that. Weirdly. Ironically, when we actually say, Jesus, your kingdom come, like you and you alone are king. Like all the other things in my life that I call, you don't, you don't call it king, right? But the way that you live your life shows where your allegiance truly is, right? And, and the things we spend our time on, the things we worry about, the things that, you know, the things that kind of consume our thoughts, that's, that's really where our allegiance is. That's our functional savior. And ironically, when we say to Jesus, you are my one king, you're the only one, that's where we find freedom from oppression because Jesus actually doesn't want to oppress us. He wants us to be free. He wants to free the prisoners by the covenant of his blood. 
freedom from the power and the penalty of sin, freedom to be weak, to be vulnerable, to be afraid, to be unsure, to be imperfect, and yet to have complete peace and security and hope, knowing that our King will not fail us. He goes before us. He is righteous for us. He has accomplished for us. He has died for us. He has risen for us. And we have everything in him. There's an incredible freedom there if we let control and let him reign. Here's a third truth. Jesus will come again to reign forever. So Jesus is... Jesus is the king that we need. You know, even he's the king we're waiting for, we've been waiting for, even though we might not have been looking for him. Jesus wants to free us from the oppression of other kings, and we have to remember this, Jesus is going to come again to be king forever. Jesus didn't just come once. I mean, Jesus came once, but that's not the end of it. He's going to come back. And so, while many, you know, we're at a period of waiting now. Many of us only recognize the waiting that we are doing in light of the coronavirus, but we are waiting for the return of our king. This is from Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, that, that's ultimately what we're waiting for. So I want to close with, with three ways that we can wait well in this season of waiting. Okay. Uh, first thing, examine your hope. Examine your hope. You know, and I've said this a couple times in the past several weeks, but, but waiting exposes us, right? Waiting allows us to examine our hearts in a way that is not otherwise possible. Because a lot of times when things are just going on and things are busy and we're keeping busy, um, you know, we're not afforded the time or the, I would say, the mental energy to examine where our hope actually lies. And I would say, try to make the most of this season and examine where your hope really is. Be honest with yourself. You know, what am I actually hoping for? What am I actually waiting for? Like, am I waiting for a... Like, when you think about this as a season of waiting, are you waiting for the virus to be over? Are you waiting for a job? Are you waiting for, you know, to get back and to, to do something or for the next job or for the next stage of life, you know, for engagement or marriage or for a kid or for, you know, a house? Like, what are you waiting for? 
None of those things is, is bad or wrong or anything like that. But, but where is your hope, though? Examine your hope and direct it toward Christ. Second thing I would say is engage God in weakness. Engage God in weakness. Now, another thing that happens in seasons of waiting typically is, you know, our hope is exposed, one. Two, uh, kind of our weakness is exposed. Like, we're humbled. Because when you just have to wait for something and there's nothing you can do about it, this virus is obviously that kind of situation. You realize how little you can actually do when you're forced to wait. We feel like, because when, when we can do things about what's happening, we feel like, oh, I'm doing something. I'm changing things. Now, we, we, you know, there are little things we can do, obviously. We can try our best to social distance. You know, we can try our best to kind of stay home. But that's, it seems like a very passive thing. And look, if you feel, again, I said this at the top, but if you feel like you're having a hard time, I mean, it's okay to grieve. You know, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel vulnerable, to feel weak. I would only say, take that to God. He knows our weakness. In fact, he doesn't, and God never like shames us. You know, he doesn't be like, oh, why are you so weak? You know, why, well, why don't you just, because sometimes we do that to one another, right? It's like, oh, why don't you just have faith? You know, why don't you just step up? You know, but it's like, God delights to comfort us, to embrace us, to strengthen us. He strengthens us when we put our faith in him, when we put our hope in him, when we trust in him. And the third thing I would say is, prepare yourself for Jesus' return. Now, in so many of the parables, when you read the Bible, when it talks about the return of Jesus, the coming of the kingdom, um, there's kind of this reckoning. Right? There's a moment where the bridegroom shows up, and some of the brides are ready and some are not ready. Right? There's a moment where the guy who threw the banquet shows up and some people are ready and some people are not ready. You know, where the master shows up and some of the servants have been preparing for his arrival and some haven't. That's the time that we're in. We are in preparation for the return of our king. In fact, Revelation 21, 6 through 8 says, this comes on the heels of the passage we just read. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And now, I don't mean that to be... Now, that's clearly a warning, um, God is saying that there will be a reckoning. Right now, I would say let this season of waiting remind you what you're, what you're truly waiting for. Like truly what you are waiting for. I don't mean this season of waiting, but I mean the whole of your life. You know, I heard one, one preacher say this like um, the Apostle Paul had a retirement plan, but his retirement plan was post-beheading, meaning he didn't plan to retire until he was dead. 
Like, that's where his investment went. Right? And I'm not saying it's wrong to have, like, a financial retirement plan. But I'm saying if we think about retirement, like rest, we shouldn't be thinking of it here. We should be thinking of it in eternity with God. Something I've been hearing, you know, I think something that everybody's thinking in the world is when are things going to go back to normal? You know, when are things going to go back to the way that they were? Uh, you know, when are, when are we going to, when are we going to be able to go to the movies? You know, when are we going to be able to go to the gym? When are we going to be able to kind of go on a trip, get on a plane, get on a cruise? I don't know if anyone's ever going to do that again. But, you know, to do these things, to just kind of get out. And I think for me, like, honestly, something that God has been convicting me of is I don't think I want things to go back to normal. Like, don't get me wrong. I want to I see people. I wish we were all together. I want to, you know, hug you guys. <laughs> like, I want to, uh, like, just be able to gather and worship. You know, I want to play basketball. Like, I want to just be in a room with my friends, you know, go out to a restaurant. Like, I do want to do those things. I want to go on vacation or go to a concert or go to a sporting event. Like, I want to do those things. It's not wrong to want to do those things. But I don't want things to go back to normal. Like, I don't want to go back to procrastinating when it comes to sharing the gospel. Like, I don't want to go back to making excuses for the lack of urgency. I don't want to let opportunities pass by without, in that moment, loving, serving, having compassion. See, all of creation was waiting for the arrival of the king, and then Jesus arrived on the scene after thousands of years, right? And do you know what happened after that? After he completed his mission, after he died and he resurrected from the dead, do you know what happened? There was an explosion because people had been waiting so long. They were waiting for the, the Savior to come. The Savior arrived, and then there was this explosion because, because people heard the gospel, and then the church exploded. They were multiplying, and they were going out, and they were sharing this good news. Like there was this incubation period. There was this period of waiting, and there was this period of kind of sowing, and then there was this amazing harvest. Now, we are in a period of forced incubation. We are in a period of forced waiting. When the waiting ends, this period of waiting, like what will we have been preparing for? Church, for us, this is an opportunity to take little for granted and make the most of the time that we have here. I hope when the quarantine is over, we are not itching more to go to a sporting event or a concert or the gym than we are to share the love of Christ. Because right now it's hard. Because right now we can't go grab coffee with someone and tell them about Jesus. But I, I hope that when that opportunity resurfaces, that will, have, that will be what we've been living in preparation for now. That not only now, but for our whole lives will become an anticipatory season of waiting for the return of Christ our King. That's my encouragement for us today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that 
you know, waiting on you, God, is never a disappointment. Waiting on you, God. Waiting on you, Jesus, for you, in you, uh, is never oppressive, God. It is never weakening, God. It's not enervating, Lord God. It strengthens us, our faith, our hope, our joy, our satisfaction, God. It reminds us of the purpose for which we are here, that we are living all of our lives in a season of waiting for your return, Jesus. Thank you so much that you have already come, that you have already fulfilled the mission that you came to fulfill, which was to die for our sins on the cross to open the way for us to know you, to be forgiven in you, to have a relationship with you, to engage you every day, God. For any of us who doesn't know that yet, I pray that you would lead us to yourself. God, and for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would not get sidetracked by waiting for these false kings and these weak purposes, Lord God, but that we would be reminded that you're coming back. And God, we don't want to fear that. We don't want to ignore that. We don't want to be distracted from that. But we want to anticipate that, to hope in that, and to live for that, to hasten that. God, give us that heart and that spirit. We thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.